Luke chapter 19, 1-10 He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I'm Scott, the pastor at Emmanuel. I'm really glad to be with you. Glad you're with us this morning. Our sermon series that we're in now that will take us to Labor Day, we're looking at redemptive stories. We're looking at individuals that meet Jesus or uh, somehow come in contact with the Christian message and the trajectory of their lives are changed. And one of the reasons we're doing this is to set up a project that we as a church will be working on together this year, where we will be over the course of the next year, you'll hear more about this in September, but we'll be reflecting on our own stories. Who are we? How did we get here? What is it we value? What, what needs fixing? These kinds of questions we'll be reflecting on, but, but unlike, maybe there's a lot of people that are reflecting on those questions, but we're also going to be reflecting on God's redemptive story. And how do these two sync up? How does our lives uh, and the work of God that he's done and is doing and will do, how do they connect? And how does that actually give hope to, to us all? How does that actually give us direction? How does that start to change things for the better? How does that sustain us when things aren't going well? Uh, we're going to spend the year uh, considering that together, working on that together. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're just looking at individuals in the Bible to see that God does this kind of work. Today, we're looking at the story of a man called Zacchaeus. Um, this is sort of a well-known story, and one of the things that's well-known about it is not only is he this unusual sort of colorful guy as we imagine him, but, but as, as Jesus somewhat surprisingly calls him and, and goes to his home, it brings about the kind of joy that changes his life in terms of his actions, his choices. There's, it's a story where there's restoration. And, and the story ends with Jesus saying something that's one of his famous sayings, and that's verse 10, the son of man, that's one of the ways he referred to himself, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so as we look at the story of Zacchaeus, we need to have that, those words of Jesus in mind because they're, they're part of this story. I want to begin with this idea of being lost. What does it mean to be lost? Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. How is that at work in the story of Zacchaeus? The imagery of being lost is actually quite helpful for us to reflect on our lives, on the story of the Bible, 
because all of us have had some experience of being lost, of not paying attention, of winding up where you didn't expect to go, of not getting to where you wanted to go, and then having to deal with that situation and uh, whatever could be the fear or the anger or the confusion or the resentment of not being able to get out of it. All of us have some component or some, some experience of that. And it helps us then imagine, well, what is, what is from God's perspective the Bible saying about humanity? What, what is my life and my pursuit of a good life and pursuit of being a good person and morals and meaning and God and all of these things? The description that we're lost uh, is vivid, but the question is, does that apply to us? Is it, is it accurate? Is it the same? Uh, when we think about being lost in the Bible, and if you even stay just within Luke's gospel, in, in uh, a few chapters earlier, a number of chapters earlier, Jesus tells a, a few parables about a woman who loses a coin and then rejoices in finding it. And there are these, these parables of things that are lost and found, but one of the stories involves a human being. And when we think of what does it mean to be lost, that story often informs from people who are familiar with the Bible. And it's a parable called, uh, the, or sometimes referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It's about a man who insults his father by demanding his inheritance while his father's still alive to go off and to live what he imagines to be the good life. But you follow his story and he runs out of his resources and he winds up in with the wrong people and his life is miserable. And then he goes back hoping to be received. And what we find instead of, is a, instead of getting a resentful, punishing father, there's this waiting father who rejoices and his words are, my son was lost but now he's found. And you see that kind of story frequently in the church that people wander off and make a ruin of their lives. And that's the amazing grace of God, the picture of the father who waits, who wants us to return. And so, so we think some people's stories are about being lost. Zacchaeus doesn't seem lost because he hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, this is not like the prodigal who wanders away from his father's home and land and possessions. Jesus is going through Jericho. And we looked at a story last week that happened in Jericho, the story of Bartimaeus. This is the same time period. This is the week before Jesus shows up in Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's been telling his disciples he'll be betrayed. He's going to be killed. The disciples don't fully understand this. But now we're, we're coming into that week where Jesus enters Jerusalem. And he's going through Jericho, and there's Zacchaeus. But how is Zacchaeus lost? Because Zacchaeus, who's referred to here as a child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, is among Abraham's people. He's living relatively close to Jerusalem. He's interacting with Jewish people, the, the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham. Why would Zacchaeus be described as lost? And, and Zacchaeus didn't go anywhere in terms of proximity, <laughs> But we don't know much about Zacchaeus, but one of the things we know, verse 2, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So his being rich, riches in the Bible are not in themselves a problem, but how he became rich is clear to us. He was a chief tax collector, so he wasn't simply one who collected taxes, but he helped coordinate a more efficient system of collecting taxes, which would have been a problem for the descendants of Abraham because they were ruled by the Roman Empire. So they weren't taxes being paid to the temple so that the worship could continue, but they were taxes being paid to the Roman Empire who nobody wanted. 
And not only were the tax collectors taking money, because after all, you know, look, this is how government worked. Maybe you could uh, head up to Athens and try to interact with the Greeks and, and see what Plato and his Republic has to say about taxation and citizenship. But at the end of the day, the tax collectors in Israel, somebody like Zacchaeus became rich, not because Rome rewarded him, but because Rome gave their amount and the tax collectors uh, would increase what they would collect, they explicitly stole. And so, so in this way, Zacchaeus was lost. He hadn't gone anywhere. He seems to be not somebody who's lost, but somebody who's thriving. He's wealthy. He's prospering. His life is working for him. In what way is this guy lost? Well, well, here he is. He's a betrayer of his own people. Uh, he's, he's dealing in such a way that, that his gain is coming at the expense of others, that, that people would rightly look at some of the poverty. What, why is a guy like Bartimaeus begging in the city? How come the taxes aren't helping him? Well, that's not how the taxation system worked. Why is Zacchaeus getting rich while others are becoming poor? Uh, there's something wrong. And the imagery we get uh, in the language of Jesus in this passage is describing Zacchaeus and, and people like him, all of us, that he's lost. He's wandered from, from the true way. He, he's not walking with God. He's among God's people. We don't know what beliefs he would have professed, but his actions indicated he was not walking the honorable path, but he had, he had gone after what his heart desired. He put himself before others. And that description is a description that is vivid, but speaks to all of us to say, however we're wandering through life, is, are we faithful? Are we loving others? Or do we put ourselves first? Or do our own impulses direct us? And all of us would have to say to a certain degree, that's true. How many choices, how many selfish choices can you make before you find yourself wondering, where am I? How did I get here? Or simply saying, I want to I grow in my relationship to God, but having no idea who God is or how to get back. And, and as we reflect on our own stories and wonder, you know, how did we get here? Uh, there's, a, there's a book that, that I've been, uh, you know, thinking about in, in, the, in the last couple of weeks, Power of Habit. Uh, and there's other, other books like it um, where, where it talks about uh, the choices we make. And, and sometimes we think that we have to have these defining moments, but, but sometimes life is a series of small choices that we keep making, and we make them out of a paradigm of, of how we learn through life, of how to relate to the world. And the Bible says at least two things that are relevant to this. One, human beings are sinful. It's, it's within us. It's not simply that something happens to us, but, but our nature, our instinct is to put ourselves first, and at times if it's at the expense of others or if it's in a disregard to God, we're willing to do that. And then we live in a world because that's how the world works. The world is broken. And so the sinful person interacting with the broken world means we're constantly making choices, but our, our choices, uh, one at a time, are not leading us towards a path of joy and generosity, but, but they lead us to places of isolation, of brokenness, where we do harm, where we wind up suffering. I have no idea how Zacchaeus wound up like he is, but uh, he wound up being a person who was a harmful person. He was a chief tax collector. And even his behavior in verses three and four, it says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. We don't know why. Maybe he just wanted to, maybe it was just entertainment. He's famous person. But on account of the crowd, it says in verse three, he could not because he was small in stature. So that's something else we know about Zacchaeus. He was small. So he ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree 
to see him. So his being small is only noted because it explains why he wound up in the tree and why he wound up uh, being seen by Jesus. But it does create a picture, sort of symbolically, here's a guy, this seems to be what he does, that, that why didn't he push his way to the front of the crowd? Uh, well, maybe he was known in the crowd and people would have elbowed him back. We don't want this guy that we hate coming through. Um, there's something about Zacchaeus's life that he's, he puts himself above others. He's, he's become rich at the expense of others. Here's a guy so eager to see Jesus that he'll do what you wouldn't expect an adult to do. And because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbs the tree and it, it would have been something that also likely would have signaled to people in the crowd who knew and resented him. There's another example that he's not one of us. He doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't fit in with society, but he thinks he's better than us. He puts himself above us. And so, so how did Zacchaeus become that person? And we don't know. Uh, it's not essential to the teaching of this particular passage, but, but as we reflect on our own stories, it is interesting to think that Zacchaeus has, has a history, that somehow he wound up being a guy who exploits his own people. And, and there could be so many ways of explaining this. We could do it through neurology or through biology, and, and maybe there was just something about the way he was wired that he just had no empathy, no compassion for people, and, and he acted selfishly. We don't know that. Another way that we explain things, though, is, is through people's experiences. And one thing that we know about Zacchaeus, he was short. I have no idea how that played into his life story, his identity. But if we're not talking about Zacchaeus, if we're talking about ourselves, what is it about human beings that, that we, we find ways to mistreat people? And when you're young, you're five years old, six years old, we, we don't have sophisticated sociological categories, but we could spot when somebody has some vulnerability, who the kid with the big ears, or the person who doesn't have nice clothes, or the kid with the bad hand, handwriting, or the kid who stutters, uh, or the kid who's short. Somehow we pick up on that, and none of those things should be a problem. And, and on the one hand, we learn them through society, but there, there's also something instinctive that, that intuitively we know. And so what could uh, the story of somebody who is short, has always been short compared to their peers, imagining the fifth or sixth, uh, uh, five or six years old, kindergarten, first grade, and there's a table where other students are coloring and they have crayons and they have paper and the kid goes to join them. And all it takes is one person to make a joke about their being short. And it could be somebody who's mean, who's selfish. It could be somebody who's trying to be funny. But, but the joke is made, people laugh. And now that's not necessarily defining it or determinative. The short kid who has had a joke about him and had people laugh at him can experience that in many ways. He may laugh and, and think it's funny. He may not be concerned at all about it. He may not think his being short is a problem. But there's something that most of us would say in that situation, whatever the intentions were, that, that most of us would probably be bothered a little bit. Our feelings would be hurt, we might get angry, we might be sad, not everybody, um, but all of us have something where if we get poked at, we're vulnerable. So, so, so a five or six year old kid being laughed at for being short, that also doesn't determine things, even if we know that they're bothered by it, they're hurt, there's lots of options, lots of things you can do. What do you do in that moment? I'm going to give two examples of, you know, there, who knows how many, how many possibilities there are, but two examples of the way it could play itself out. So you may have a kid who, who at one point somebody made fun of him and he said, I don't like that. And then people laughed even harder. So the lesson is, okay, 
here's a situation, now I'm hurt because somebody made a joke, others laughed. So let me try something new. Let me try not telling people that I'm upset, but let me try laughing so that I, I fit in with them and hope that the conversation moves on. So let me just try that. I'm not gonna say that I'm upset. I'm not gonna show I'm upset. I'm just gonna laugh. And then sure enough, everybody goes back to coloring. Now I have a place at the table. And I've learned something about the world. At only five or six years old, I've learned that actually if you, if you show that you're hurt, it brings more hurt. But if you, if you pretend you're okay, then you don't have to deal with it. That's not necessarily life defining, but it, it's something we learn. And, and, and somebody could remember, they could at, in their 20s or 30s could say, I remember this time I was five years old and somebody made fun of me for being short. But this kind of thing happens all the time. We don't remember it. And so, so you may find yourself wondering as an adult, how did I get to be the kind of person that, that, that I feel a lot of pain, but I, I don't talk about it. I don't speak up. I just, I don't rock the boat. Uh, and, and yet I also don't know how to handle my pain, my suffering. So, so that's one way it could work out. But, but here's another way that it could work out. And again, this is just, just imagining life stories. Another way it could work out is the five-year-old kid said, here's somebody call him short. And it's not just that there's one mean person, but everybody laughed. So now I'm not just hurt because there's this one mean person, but I'm resentful to everybody. So what I'm going to do is show people you can't do this. And so I'm going to go to the table and I'm going to knock all the crayons off the table. How do you like it now? And so now you have a group of four or five kids. One person laughed, not knowing why. They just heard there was laughter and they laughed. One person was mean and thought that it was fun for somebody to make fun of. The other person, one person felt bad laughing, but sort of thought it was funny. We don't know what's going on with this group, but now that whole group is angry. And so now you have a way of relating. Now I've done something that has made you all mad. Now it's recess time and you're playing and I want to come over to you. And all it takes is one of the people at that table to say, we don't want this guy with him. The guy that just comes over. It's not that there's anything wrong with us. We're not overly sensitive. He's the kind of guy that just gets angry and destroys things. We, we can't have that. And so what does that person learn? <laughs> uh, the person could learn a lot of things, but the person could learn, hey, you know what? This is a cruel world. Nobody's looking out for you. And if you show your weakness, people will take advantage of it. So heck with them. <laughs> you watch out for yourself. And if anybody bothers you, you, you have to advocate for yourself against others. If they've got the crayons and you want it, be nice to them if it works. If not, take the crayons from them. Now, I have no idea what Zacchaeus experienced. I have no idea how he got to be a chief tax collector. But certainly we can imagine that, that here's the picture of this guy who's, who's put himself above the crowd, doing what, what socially polite adults wouldn't do, climb a tree like he's a little kid, He's so eager to see Jesus, he's, he's not socially aware. How did he get there? I don't know. But somehow he learned in life that this is the, the way of success. This is the way to make a life for yourself. And people rightly would have resented him. But Jesus describes Zacchaeus's condition as being lost. That there's something wrong here that, that you're prospering at, at the case of others. There's something wrong that you don't care about others. There's something wrong that, that you're, it's not simply that you don't fit in with, with the crowd as if Jesus wants us to be conformist. But you don't fit in because you have no connection. People resent you and you, and you don't care. Um, that's not us. We don't all wind up that way. Some of you would say, yeah, that's me. That's, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm going to get what I want. I don't care. 
but all of us could say somehow I've learned to deal with the world in a way where, where I no longer know how I got here. I, I don't know why I can't deal with my emotions. I don't know why um, I don't like being ridiculed. I don't know why I'm one who makes fun of others. I don't know why I prefer to be alone. I don't know why um, I never confront my problems. And, and when somebody's mistreating me, I just pretend that everything's okay. We, we don't always know how we got here. Sometimes we do, and that, that gives us the benefit of being able to rethink through things. But somehow we're dealing with ourselves as, as adults who have arrived somewhere. And then we say, what do we want? Well, I want to be happy and I want to be good. And, I, and Jesus comes as the model and, and I want to be like him. And we find ourselves wondering, but, but how, come I, how come I'm not? How come I'm not doing that? How come I learn this principle, but I don't do it? How come I do the things I don't want to do? How come I'm, I, I act despite my own interests? How come not everyone likes me? How come social situations don't always work out? And, and there's this imagery here, which is to, to say, hey, do you feel like you're lost? <laughs> and, and sometimes it's the person who's made an utter mess of themselves, like the prodigal, who sees it. But most of us find ourselves at some place wondering, I, I don't know how I got here. I don't, I don't know what's wrong, and, and, I, and I don't know what's next. And, and that imagery then becomes helpful. It becomes a picture of of the human being, our spiritual condition. It's not simply that we're, we're imperfect people that need a little bit of help, or we're, we're people who have ups and downs and we just want more ups. Jesus is going to come up with some tips to make us happier people. What we're told from God's perspective is, is human beings are like those who, who make one small decision at a time. And if the majority of those are in self-interest or without care for others, we, we wind up in places that we don't know how we got there. We can't fix it. We don't know how to get out. Being lost is one of the ways the Bible describes the human condition in relation to God, in relation to one another, in relation to our world, and human need. What do you do when you're lost? Well, that sets up the second question we're going to look at, which is, why did Jesus come? Well, that's a helpful phrase when Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. He comes seeking. He comes searching after. God cares about his wandering people, and he sends Jesus to go after them. When Jesus uses the language of being lost, it's not a derogatory way of speaking distinctly, shamefully about Zacchaeus. Uh, it's a way of describing what Jesus is doing, which shows not simply how we understand Zacchaeus' situation, but how we understand the nature of Jesus, who he is and what he has come to do. He has come to seek those who are lost. And so there's a surprise in the story. For, you know, we have the whole story and it's kind of a nice story because it ends neatly and therefore I think it's become one that, uh, that we, we just appreciate, we learn a lot from, but it could have gone a lot of directions. Jesus could have called Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus may have said, wonderful, I have salvation and now I'm going back to exploiting. That would have been a dissatisfying story. But whatever the case is, the surprise, certainly for the crowds, and we should appreciate as the reader, is that of everybody in the crowd, why is Jesus called Zacchaeus and want to come to his home? That's verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus was probably surprised. What on earth? I just came for a view. This is the greatest day of his life. The crowds were surprised. Why on earth? Would Jesus want to get together with him? 
the 21st century reader shouldn't miss that there's that surprise that Zacchaeus was not, he was not a moral person. He was not an honest person. It wasn't that he was proactive. He was a bit of an outcast. He put himself above others. It's surprising that Jesus would call him by name. And we don't know how did, how did Jesus even know who Zacchaeus was? And it could be supernatural. He refers to himself as the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. The good shepherd knows who, those who are his. He may have came and said, this man is appointed for, for salvation and I'm calling him. But there could be a natural explanation. He could have been walking with the crowd and he could have heard somebody next to him say, could you believe Zacchaeus up there in the tree? And, and Jesus then looked and said, I'm going to call Zacchaeus down and I'm going to stay with him. These are the kind of details that would make for the kind of story that might grip our hearts more, but those are not the relevant details. What we know is Jesus calls him, and, and the surprise was a very pleasant surprise for Zacchaeus. Verse 6, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. This is not a self-conscious, somebody socially self-conscious, my goodness, he, I, you know, was, I thought I would sneak up into the tree because I'm short, hope that nobody would see me. Jesus, why did you call me by name? Let me shrink down. Uh, he hurries down. This is not a, a, a socially shy guy. He hurries down and he receives Jesus, or, or, or there's a joyful receiving, I should say. And, and that's one of the things that makes this story wonderful, that Zacchaeus, who is lost, is found in a very personal way. He's not just part of this amorphous crowd. Jesus is not looking for conformists. Jesus is calling individuals. He calls people. He knows those who are his. And those who are called uh, usually respond when we understand at some point joy. C.S. Lewis described himself as dragged, kicking, and screaming, the most reluctant convert in all of England. Some of you have that experience that, that you don't see the wonder of Jesus, but you're defeated by the truth. Uh, and you finally give in to the fact that you're lost and you stop trying to argue about directions. Look, everybody's story is different, but at some point, there's something restorative, and that moment happens here. And again, we don't know Zacchaeus' story, but we know the crowds did not like him. We know he did not seem to travel with them. And now he's called down. He's called, he's called back into the crowd, but, but Jesus receives him. And there's something at this moment that's joyful. He was, he was named, <laughs> Uh, and who knows, you know, in our stories, we may not remember being the short kid who was laughed at and who threw the crayons off the table. But there's something in our experience that, that knows that we, we hate being marginalized. We hate that there's something wrong with us. We hate not being good enough. And there's something about the nature and the character of Jesus who comes with wisdom and authority and compassion. And he, he calls us by name. And it's, it's not explainable, but there's something spiritually transformative that happens when Jesus welcomes us, when we receive Jesus, that starts to restore the story that stands out, the defining story that has shaped you, or the, the series of little stories that has made you who you are today and you, you don't even know. But, but there's something that speaks, something about the uniqueness of Jesus who comes and he calls us by name. And he comes to, to join life with us. And when we receive him, there's something restorative. And so there's this surprise that leads to joy. That's, that's Zacchaeus' uh, response. It's, it's probably Jesus' response. This is this joyful moment. The son of Abraham has been brought back. It's redemptive. But the joy was not abounding 
in the crowd. Verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And there's a certain narrative that people familiar with reading the Bible, the New Testament, know, which is that there's a lot of hypocrites, a lot of arrogant people, and they just look down on Jesus because of, of their social status. This story, it's, it's, they don't, it's, it's hard to tell who is it that's grumbling. It, it's not necessarily the Pharisees, because Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and there's the tax collector who beats his breast and says, I'm a sinner, and there's the Pharisee who says, I'm thankful, I'm not like this tax collector or all the other people. We don't like that hypocrisy. We don't like that arrogance. We don't like the grumbling Pharisee. But who is this grumbling crowd? Is it, is it more arrogant religious people? And I think the story is, is supposed to, to leave us also surprised that Jesus would call Zacchaeus. Because again, Zacchaeus was not sort of a guy that, that was a misfit, who didn't, he didn't know how to get along with others. He was a recluse who just was by himself. He was a guy that people rightly resented. He was exploiting us. He, the crowd that grumbles against them, some of us are poor while this guy's getting rich. Their grumbling was not just arrogance. There would have been something to say, why on earth would Jesus call this guy out of all of us? There's this huge crowd here. If Jesus wants a meal. If Jesus needs the place to stay for the night, why is he not going to, to John's house? John who helped to build the synagogue. And, and it, you take the, the modern example of whoever the, the great politician running for office would be coming to our neighborhood. And let's be prepared. We want to impress this guy because we want him to, uh, we want to create a relationship where, where he sees us and he advocates for us and we want to show him what we're doing and we'll give him our support if we advocate for him. So let's prepare for this prominent person who's coming through and we want to introduce him to people. And so when he gets here, we want to introduce him uh, to, to Mary who helped arrange for the farmer's market around the corner a few years ago that now we have fresh produce and, and health in our neighborhood because of Mary. And we want, we want this politician to, to meet her. And there's, uh, then there's Robert who actually advocated for that stop sign on the corner because this was a dangerous intersection. All these people were coming through and we have kids on bikes. And so we want him to see Bob. And then we also want him to meet uh, Jennifer, who, who is, is giving the music lessons for free to low-income kids. And, and wait a second, where is he going? He hasn't met Jennifer. He's going across the street to talk to, wait a second, he's talking to the owner of that building. And we in the neighborhood know about that building, unlike these other buildings, because that building has low-income people, and the owner of the building doesn't want them there. And in the winter, he doesn't give them heat or hot water, because he's trying to make it such an unhospitable place that he's wanting them to move out because, because now he could get a lot more from other types. And, and there's a, a rat problem in our neighborhood and he could call an exterminator, but he's, he's intentionally not because he's waiting for everybody there to move out so he could change the building then and increase the rents. Uh, we don't like the guy because we're, we're doing organic farming on our roofs and this guy is making the neighbors we love leave the neighborhood. Why on earth did he not meet the person giving the music lessons and he went over to talk to him? See, at that point, you'd say, I don't know that I want to back this candidate. I don't know that I want to vote for him. And this crowd, they're in the midst of, of marveling at Jesus's wisdom and his power, and he's going to Jerusalem. They're prepared to go for him. But, but, but things are not... They're not clear. They're 
evaluating, is this a guy that we want to follow? Because his call was not simply like, here's my keys to have a good life, but drop everything and follow me. Can we trust him? And we were trusting him, but, but when he called Zacchaeus, that became concerning. It's not that we have an arrogance problem. It's that Zacchaeus has a moral problem. Why is Jesus going to his home? And, and the surprise in the story has the potential for the worst sinner to say, holy cow, is the grace of God that radical? But the story also, also challenges those of us who think that we're sinners because nobody's perfect, but we're not chief. We're not, we're not the worst sinner. And so the interesting thing about this story is one component of it before the resolution, because this is happening before the great climactic moment where Zacchaeus promises a return. He's going to give back. He's going to restore. That's what makes this story wonderful. That hasn't happened yet. Jesus calls him in the midst of his sin, come down. There's joy. And the crowd evaluating would say, boy, uh, do we want to follow this guy who hangs out with people like him? Sure, it was, wonder, it was understandable he came to us. Look, we're not perfect, but, but we're trying our best. We're, we're sons of Abraham. Why on earth would he go to him? And it raises one of the, the things that expose the depths of our need, the fact that we're all lost, which is, why on earth would we ever resent the generosity of God? Isn't God's generosity one of the chief attributes that we want to take hold of, that we want to build our lives upon it? Well, we like when God is generous to us. <laughs> but what does it mean that God is generous? To, when, he, when he accepts sinners, what, what kinds of sinners does he accept and what kind does he reject? Does he accept the kinds of sinners we are, but does he reject the kind of sinners that we all 100% agree don't belong? And when we see that God might just extend generosity to that kind of sinner, if our instinct is not to rejoice and to say, God is even greater than I thought. But our instinct, and for most of us it is, is to say, boy, am I wrong? Because I believe in a God of justice in a world that should be just. Does God's generosity trouble you? And I suspect for most of us at some point, it will. That's, that's, part, of the, that's part of our life story, that, that, that the, the thing that should give us the greatest joy and assurance, because all of us wander, at times becomes an area that makes us think, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if he's credible. I don't know if I want him. And this is what we see, that wherever Jesus goes, there's always something about him people are drawn to. Everyone has something compelling. But there's always something where people say, but I don't know. I'm not going all the way. I don't like this. And we're fully convinced, we're fully confident in our own ability to evaluate. And the Bible says that's a demonstration that, that we are all wandering in the dark. We don't know when, when God sends his son, when the son of man comes to seek after those who are lost and the lost are like, you know, I'm going to wait for the next guy to come and give me directions. It shows the nature of humanity. What is it about God's seeking after us, God's pursuing us, God's generosity that doesn't overwhelm us with joy? What it is, is somehow we've been formed in a distorting way where the reason we can't seek after God is because we no longer know what the criteria is. We, uh, our minds are not such that we could find our way to God. 
but this is why the story is such an exciting story because Jesus finds his way to us. Jesus comes to seek and to save those who are lost. And so, so yes, Zacchaeus is lost. And if you're willing to, to acknowledge it, we too are lost. But Jesus comes to seek after us. He comes to pursue us. That's the nature of God. But he doesn't simply seek us, but he saves us. So, so how does Jesus save Zacchaeus? We're talking about his story. Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Salvation has come. We're, we're looking at a story of salvation. It, it's not simply that Zacchaeus had, had a moment that he could brag about that he met a famous person, but this is a, a life-transforming story. We see the seeds of it here. He's also a son of Abraham. In what way? Well, well genetically, biologically, uh, he was exploiting the descendants of Abraham, even though he was a son. The Bible is filled with stories of brothers who do this. In what ways is he a son of Abraham? Well, certainly in that way. But, but what is it that marked Abraham in his generation? Well, well, when God came and visited, Abraham showed hospitality and welcomed him. It wasn't simply his biology, his lineage, his, his descent. But Abraham was one who, who welcomed God and became a friend of God, as he's described in James. There's something about Zacchaeus, for everything wrong with him, that there's something that, that he received Jesus and Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem within a week to his own city, the climactic moment of the, the law and the prophets, and his own people will not receive him, the sons of Abraham. But, but Zacchaeus, too, is a son of Abraham. And, and, and there's a demonstration of the faith of Abraham that when God comes and visits, he, he sees his need and he sees the generosity of God and he joyfully wants to respond with generosity. That's what makes this a redemptive story that salvation has come to Zacchaeus. Why? Because Zacchaeus gave back, uh, promised to help the poor, promised to restore what he had fraud, the people he had frauded. And that's what's helpful about the, the, the order of how things unfold. Jesus calls him, not because Jesus is in a fundraising trip. Once Zacchaeus pledges to give money, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to come to your home. But he calls him, come down. He, he says, I want to come to your home and stay with you. And the response of the saved, the one who has joy, is to realign his life, to, to start to repair what was broken. Salvation comes, we know salvation comes because the evidence of God's gracious working. Jesus calls him by name, and then Zacchaeus is changed. And, and that's the picture of what happens, which as we think about our own stories of being lost, to know that, that Jesus comes and calls us. He calls us by name not simply because he happens to be passing by, but because God sends him to seek after us. But when he calls us, he wants to join his life with ours, and there's going to be a change, a restoring. But what's vivid about this picture is Jesus calls Zacchaeus down, and that's what the crowd is not yet understanding. It's not that Jesus loves the wicked in their wickedness. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about what has been done wrong. But he sees Zacchaeus, who has put himself above the people, and he doesn't come and, and throw salvation up, but he says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. He calls him down. You've put yourself up above that, but, but you, need to come, you need to come down. And, and here there's this picture of what, what Isaiah prophesied, that when his servant came, the, the mountains would be brought low and the valleys would come up. When, when Jesus restores the sinner, it's not just a redemptive story about Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus, you need to come down. And Zacchaeus comes down and says, I'm going to give back to the poor and I'm going to restore fourfold what was given to me, that, that now there's a a bringing back up. Abraham's descendants, the community was broken. Things had gone such that 
Jesus is not about loving people for all the wrong that they've done. He loves people who have done wrong. And he calls the kids down, come out of the tree, and come back and be with us and have joy and fellowship with us. How does that save Zacchaeus? Well, that calling saves him because it's tied to what Jesus would do for all that he comes to seek after, for all he would save. He calls us. He calls Zacchaeus down from the tree, and then he enters Jerusalem, and he ascends up into a tree when he's crucified. And so, so, so the generosity of Jesus is not something to take flippantly because he saves a chief tax collector. And where did that tax money go? It went to the Roman Empire. Zacchaeus is coordinating the collection of funds to pay the salary of Pontius Pilate so, so Pilate can govern over the descendants of Abraham. And so because Zacchaeus is helping fund Pilate, Pilate is able to condemn Jesus. And Zacchaeus is, is collecting funds so the Roman soldiers could come and create order. <laughs> but when his own people grumble about him, the Roman soldiers keep peace by nailing Jesus to the cross. Zacchaeus helped fund the nailing of Jesus to the cross. And this is what makes the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, utterly unique. He comes, and he doesn't join with the crowd at laughing at Zacchaeus. He doesn't ignore him. He calls him down. But he goes up, not to the place of honor, but he goes up to that place where in our pride we try to put ourselves above others. And he receives the rightful reward, which is the grumbling, angry crowd who wants to kill us and cast us off. The thing is, Jesus was righteous. And the crowd was wrong for grumbling against him. But they had no chance to repay Zacchaeus for what he had done. But Jesus goes and bears the payment for what Zacchaeus has done. So that while Jesus is cast off, Zacchaeus could be received among his own people and his own people can be brought to restoration. And that's the picture of the redemptive work of Jesus. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And for any of us who say, I, I don't know how I got to be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and such an angry person, <laughs> I don't know why I don't bother to go along with other people because I, I find them boring. I don't know why I'm willing to do certain things when nobody can see me. We don't know how we got here. But what we're told is Jesus calls us. He calls you in the pit of your darkness. <laughs> he calls you in your moral arrogance where you think you know where you are, but you don't. But understand the generosity of God that, that he comes and he calls us by name and, and says, I, I want to meal with you. <laughs> I want to stay with you. And the response of Zacchaeus is one that's joyful. Verse 8, <laughs> behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Yeah, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and people would say, and you have, I restore it fourfold. There's something about the greatness of the grace of Jesus that that gave him a joy that meant above and beyond uh, what God has done, what I've seen God do for me. I, I, I can never repay him, but, but that's the kind of life I want to live. And that's what an experience of grace does. When, when Jesus seeks and saves after us, when we're no longer lost, but when we're found, when we're, we're no longer wandering but on our own, but we're now on the path that Jesus sets before us, there's meant to be a joy that comes from being one who is grateful to the one who leads us so we follow but also to, to now restoring our lives. What is it that went wrong? And you may remember it, 
and you work it through in a gospel way, or you may not remember it. You may just say, somehow I got to be a problematic person, and yet, yet my story is realigning. I'm now, I, I'm now going somewhere. There's hope. And that's what happens with the new community. And so um, Paul writes to the Ephesian church. There's a verse that I think is helpful. It's just a kernel of, of how this kind of teaching gets applied. Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And it's that story not saying let the thief no longer come among God's people. It's let him no longer steal. Let him stop what he's doing and understand the wrongness of his ways, that this is the ways of being lost. Come back. You're called. Don't steal anymore. But all that skill you acquired, there's got to be some honest way that all of that hard work and all of that intuition you have. So, so do it honestly with the same zeal, but now do it not so that you could take from others and defraud others, but do it so that if the Lord gives you success and you have more than you need, that you can share that your life is not about taking from others so you can have a better life, but your life is about following Jesus and joyfully doing all you can. And, and he, will, he will give you an abundance so that, that you can share with people in need. You know, in that parable that, that Jesus has just told earlier, um, the, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, we always think, is Jesus more likely to come to the Pharisee or is he more likely to come to the tax collector? Zacchaeus was the chief of tax collectors, so clearly he comes to them. But Paul was... A Pharisee. When he describes his rising the ranks, uh, there's a famous passage where he writes to Timothy, the young master, and he talks about his own example. He says, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so what happened that the Pharisee could look at the, the chief tax collector and start to rejoice that God would save him and to say, now I've learned that I actually was the chief of sinners. Um, and Paul, like Zacchaeus, would say, I, I've come to, to be willing to lose everything for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. That's when we know we're found. When, 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 we're, when we stop questioning, does Jesus fit our paradigm? Will he give me the life that I like? Does he do the kinds of things that I want to do? And when you realize, I have no idea how to get where I want to go. And Jesus comes and he calls me. And, and that's a good thing. That's a joyful thing. That's a hopeful thing. And and I'm, I'm willing to, to make that my new way of life. Uh, when you do that, the evidence, the fruit of repentance, the, 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 the fruit of salvation in your life works in that following that path is, is about realigning, re restoring everything. And so some of you need to, to not simply repent in private of the prayer of the wrong that you've done, but you need to rise from that. You need to go fix it with the person you've done wrong to. That's part of the, the work of Jesus saving sinners is not just so individual sinners can be freed of, of a coming penalty, but that, that freed sinners could come back together and be the redeemed community. And that's what we see in the story of Zacchaeus. He was lost, but Jesus came to seek and to save him. And so here's just three quick questions for you. One, do you hear Jesus call you? That's the nature of the Christian life. We don't find God. God comes and finds us. Do you know that he comes to call you? He does. It's by his spirit. Uh, and will you come? And if it's the first time, come. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're still wondering, where am I going today? Follow him wherever he's leading you. Here's the second question. Is there any joy in your religious life? Or is your hope that paying your religious dues will bring you joy in the rest of your life? There's something about this restoration that says being found 
reorients the whole rest of my life. My fundamental problems will be addressed through Christ. And that's hopeful. And so, so do you have joy? Is, is there a sense in which, which Jesus coming to you is so good that there's a satisfaction? There's meant to be. And it's not instinctive to us, but it's part of spiritual growth. Uh, and here's the third thing. Are you a repenter? Uh, it's not simply that you acknowledge that you've done wrong, but is there a new way of life that, that when you do wrong, you, you, you'll learn not to make the excuses. You'll learn not to justify it. You'll learn not to cover it up. But you'll learn that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to make things right. Is, is that how you're striving to live every day, the small decisions? We got wherever we got by a bunch of small decisions, and there may be a life-defining moment. Some of you will have some awesome life-defining moment where you will do something great for God. Most of us, the struggle is daily. Today, are you going to do the next great thing for God with honor and integrity? And if you, if you didn't, will you remember the generosity of God and, and stop and acknowledge that you're wrong? And will you fix it? And that's the, the nature of the Christian life. That's what we get from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, but he's, he's, he's a descendant of Abraham. He's part of the community he believed and was called by Jesus. Um, and you can be too. And so let's, let's follow him. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer now. And so let me pray for us. Our Father, um, maybe we don't all see how we're all lost. Some of us, by all human standards, are decent people. Lord, we're thankful for that. But, but Lord, none of us on our own will find you because we, we continue to do the selfish thing. We continue to let our shame uh, hover over us. Lord, you tell us that you who sit enthroned in the heavens, we would not find you through our wisdom or our power or our life reform. But we marvel that you come to find us, that you sent Jesus to call each of us personally. Work your spirit that we would hear your call and that we would see your leading, that we would follow you, that we would no longer wander, but we would have our lives going somewhere good. Forgive us for every wrong that we've done. And we pray in this upcoming year that we would see a renewal in our lives, that our stories would would show greater joy and greater realignment as we're seeing you do a repairing work in us and in our community. Lord, do that gracious work in us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.